Kathy Campbell. And I'm Julia Scott. And there are good things. This is the podcast that is its own tagline. Every week we share our own tiny joys, something good in the news, and a general good thing that will hopefully make your day a little better. So what's your tiny joy this week? My tiny joy is the ability to close my door in my office. Um, <laughs> I work from home and have for several years now. Uh, and things are a little bit different now that our daughter is home as well. But being able to separate and have the space to really close off and be by myself or with virtual friends um, really helps relieve uh, the symptoms of cabin fever. Good call. Good call. Doors. They're a good thing. They are a very good thing. What about you, Julia? What's your tiny joy today? My tiny joy today is the ice cream truck. Because <laughs> nice. I'm double happy that it came by about half an hour ago, so it didn't interrupt our recording. But just perfect. Like it, you know, I heard the music and I saw it because it stopped like on the sort of cul-de-sac near a house. And there was something about just the normalcy of the ice cream truck. Yeah. Depending on when you're listening to this, hopefully the whole corona isolation thing will be a thing long of the past. But right now things are kind of up in the air and weird. And just like the ice cream truck, it's so normal. It's so kind of universally happy. And it came and it felt like things were the same as they were a month ago. It was just like, Ugh. I mean, hearing the ice cream truck, I think always makes me happy. But it was just extra little spark today. I love that. Yeah, it's funny uh, because in my neighborhood, we get the ice cream truck and it starts really early in the year. Um, and it's kind of annoying because it will sit right outside my window because I'm at the edge of like our little complex for maybe five minutes or so waiting for any kids in the neighborhood that might come running towards it. And over a period of time, that's a really long five minutes. And you're right. I heard it yesterday and I was just like, oh, happiness. Mm -hmm. So I love it. So what's good in the news? I don't know if you know anything about Venice, Italy. I, I've been. It's very pretty. Ooh, well, it's now even more beautiful because of the lockdown in the city. Uh, it means that there's less boat traffic which means that the canals are getting clearer. Um, there are fish you can see to the bottom. Um, I'm sure you've probably seen the video of the trumpet player on the balcony. Um, and so Venice is kind of blossoming and blooming in this horrible time. Uh, and the waters are just becoming absolutely gorgeous. And it's kind of a a hopeful moment that the earth is kind of taking control over something. It is. But something that struck me is because I remember when when uh, we went to Venice, it feels almost sort of theme parky because it's so gorgeous. And it's <laughs> so like, you know, these tiny little sort of islands and pockets and then bridges. And it's just like it's it's beyond picturesque. And I can imagine if you're there and the waters are clear, you're like, all right, it's Disneyland. This is fake. Which is great, since you can't go to Disneyland either. That's Anyways, true. you might as well look out your window and have it pretend to be Disneyland. Yeah, I, it is kind of cool to see all these like, you know, like, oh, there's wild boar in this city all of a sudden. It's going to be problematic <laughs> once traffic starts up again. But it is kind of cool how nature just like, all right, this is this is cool. Yeah, nature adapts. So I want to tell you about something that is Weird, but cool. So I want to tell you about dementia villages. 
They're mm-hmm. these nursing homes or care homes for people with dementia. But instead of your like regular nursing home thing, it's set up more like a village. So things feel more normal for the residents. It's kind of like the loveliest version of the Truman Show. Oh, Have you heard about this before? I vaguely, just a little bit, I didn't do any research. Spoiler, (laughs) you told me about it, that you were going to talk about it. But I was a good girl and I did not go and like Google it. Um, So I'm very excited to hear more about it. Yeah. So uh, I think the very first one, at least that was, you know, on sort of larger organizational scale is called Hogeveik, I'm guessing here, uh, in Holland. It started in 1993. Originally, it was just like your regular nursing home. But the people who worked there wanted to provide more normalcy for the resident. You know, feeling like things are normal is really important, really, for everyone who's in care. Uh, But with dementia, there can be sort of a lot of anxiety and and fear. And especially when there are moments of, of lucidity, people can try to leave, which can put them in danger. I remember mm. reading this amazing story about, um, I think, multiple old folks' homes who set up sort of a fake bus stop at, like, say, half a mile's walk or less from from the facilities so that people who tried to leave would see the bus stop and sit there and wait. And there was something there, like an emotion sensor that would alert them. But, you, you know, you, you, you walk away either because you think you know what you're doing or you think it's another day than it is or that you have this important task that you need to do. Right. And on top of that, uh, living like this allows them to actually like use skills that can sort of uh, wither in a regular care home because you don't have the opportunity to use them. Like they, they have to interact with each other. They interact with the people who work there and they have to work with kind of basic tasks. And it seems like using this, like the communication, the emotive skills seems to be able to at least a little slow the progression of the disease like you use your brain uh so this place which again is seems to be the first one and is kind of the the model for everything else they have 23 houses for about 150 people um who have dementia of various stages and they're kind of grouped together both by what care they need like how which stage they're in but also what kind of lifestyle they're best matched with and how they like how it's decorated so are you cosmopolitan are you urban are you chill are you more about nature and so they have five or six uh rooms i think per house and they have one or two carers there who live with them and they help the people who live there five or six uh seniors they can do normal house things like it's you know like they're all roommates so they you know they clean or they cook uh, they go to a grocery store and shop. They have this kind of um, internal currency so that each house and resident, like they get a set amount of money so that uh, things are as realistic as possible. Like they're actually buying and paying for things because the memories that you have of your life before, you didn't go into the grocery store and just leave without paying. Walk out. Yeah. yeah so uh, they uh, and the houses even budget together for like for the month. I'm, I'm pretty sure they can still get groceries if they like buy way too much chocolate. <laughs> but it's it's just so that there is this sense of, of community of working together. And I'm assuming also just like challenging the, the brain being like, you know, we have five of these and 10 of these. Right. There's a bar. There's and I thought it was really nice. They said that like the residents can buy, you know, a drink there. If they seem to be having trouble with alcohol, they won't serve them. I don't know if they give them fake cider or something. But there's a restaurant, there's a movie theater, they have bingo nights. They have all the kind of stuff that would exist in a regular 
village so that they can get out, they can do things, you know, they can they can have activities, they can be social, you know, they get to know their neighbors. Uh, it depends a little bit on, you know, what kind of things they can do. But there's just all these things right. that they can do. And it reminded me of, uh, in Sweden, we call it freedom under responsibility. But basically, it's like freedom or independence under safety. Oh, that's real good. So that even if they are, you know, contained and, and kept safe, they don't have to feel like they're, you know, locked in and helpless, kind of infantilized, which I think can happen very easily, even when staff have the best of intentions, because, you know, you have your room, and you can maybe like, you know, go right. to the to like the social room or go for, for dinner. But here you ha- you have more freedom and it, it can be really stressful feeling like people don't trust you or they're discounting. It. I mean, that that's true for people without dementia as well. But uh, it's right. a very common problem with, with dementia. You often get a lot of anger, like you can get paranoia, you can not be able to assess your own capabilities. Uh, and then when you try to communicate that and people you know, disagree or don't understand you or you don't understand, the the frustration can really take very angry, I don't know, expressions, paths. Yeah. I would imagine that this is also very helpful. From what I know of dementia, um, it's different almost mm-hmm. day to day. Um, and so having all of these paths and options available um, means that the restrictions are n- maybe not super easy to swap out, but easier to make the changes in someone's situation based on how they're doing that day. So, you know, one day, oh, this person um, is fully conscious and able to fully go out and you know, purchase all of the grocery items to do this huge meal, but maybe the next day they're having trouble, you know, getting dressed in the morning. Um, And so by having this kind of like safe bubble with the wide range of stuff, you have that extreme connection to who Mm -hmm. is already there. And so you can make those adjustments as needed, which is really cool. You can fail at things, you can get lost, but it's never really dangerous the way that it can be. You know, people, old people, I mean, even people without dementia, once you maybe get a little confused or the bus isn't running as normal and, you know, people, it can be cold outside. It can be, you know, anything can happen. You can just like trip and nobody's going to look for you. Whereas here, again, it's, it's, it's like the Truman Show, the wall just like ends, you know? But it's in a good way so that things feel normal, but they're all set up very much with only these people in mind. Right. Yeah. And there's uh, there's one that's been operating for a while in Denmark. Uh, there's one um, – they're working on one in Sweden. Uh, there's one in a place in Italy called Bufalotta. I'm hoping that's how you pronounce it. Um, they're working <laughs> on a bunch in Canada. They started building one in British Columbia in Canada a couple of years ago that I think already has a number of residents. And it's called The Village, which kind of reinforces my feeling that depending on how you describe this, it's a horror story or a lovely story. Right. Like, call it something else. Call it anything else. Anything else. But so, you know, they have the same sort of general concept. Like, it's fenced in. Some of them I know have like Bluetooth bracelets so that you can track them if they somehow mm. manage to hide behind a tree, I guess. Nice. But again, it it allows them to live a kind of similar life to what they had before. Obviously, it's not for everybody. Uh, both 
because people have very different abilities in dementia. And also, it's you know, it's it costs more than a lot of other care. Right. And they seem to do a lot of interviewing with both the prospective residents and with their families to, you know, make sure that it works and what they need. Right. But it just seems like such a great thing to do. That seems really um, like a hopefulness to it. Like I can imagine that having somebody, a family member with dementia, um, you're you're mourning their the loss of their normal life um, mm-hmm. a lot, and you want them to be as happy and safe as possible for however long they're still alive. And if you have the ability to pay for it, being able to send somebody that will fit in this new little family and be safe, that sounds pretty great. Yeah. And I would assume also that, you know, aside from, you know, stimulating the brain in general, just having things to do, I think, makes it easier to not get stuck in some of these anxious loops of like, you know, right. when, you know, people have kids who visit all the time, but they don't remember. So they think they're they've been abandoned uh, or you, you know, you're just sitting there stuck in this worry loop or even maybe a happy loop. But here you have things to do that are close to what you've always done, yeah. which I think is just, you know, you, you, I don't know, like you can't be super sad when you're cleaning because you feel better than you're done or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand that, that feeling, but sure, I'll take it from you if <laughs> you think that's real. <laughs> something that came up while I was reading about this is also people using VR a lot, both for seniors in general, uh, to, you know, but but for seniors with Alzheimer's, it can be calming to, you know, get to feel that they're going somewhere. They're not frustrated and anxious. They can see things that maybe are the way they remember them. Right. And that is obviously also really important if you're physically limited. I did a TV segment once about how they were using, I think then it was the Kinect uh, to play games because it kept them a little bit active. Like they were playing tennis or whatever. Yeah, hitting at things, falling, trying to control a little cat. I asked one lady um, if she thought it was fun, and she said, it's okay, but I'd rather play bridge, which is kind of cute. Oh, that's adorable. And this one older gentleman, he liked playing racing games, but he preferred racing around the the area on his little motorized <laughs> scooter. I mean, to be fair, yeah, I could I could see that, that being a big uh, benefit, being able to do that. But for somebody that maybe doesn't have as much of the control to be able to race around in their little scooter... <laughs> Yeah, so you, you get that stimulation of both both the brain and and the body, but also in a safer place if you're not in one of these dementia villages. But it seems like they're building more and more of them. So I just thought that was a really cool thing that, you know, growing old is scary. But so I, you know, there are things that make me feel a little bit better about it. Yeah, I I hope that if I get dementia in the future, um, this these dementia places will have blossomed and bloomed and are becoming the norm. Um, And so that I can uh, live out my life in a safe uh, and happier place. Or maybe we're all just brains in jars by that point. Or we're in the matrix. I mean, who knows? We'll see. So we're going to wrap up with another thing in the news. That's good. Blue whales are back in Antarctica. Yeah, so blue whales, in case you're not sure, they're the ones that are the biggest thing 
that not has ever existed, but the biggest uh, mammal and animal, I think, in the world. Uh, and 97% of the blue whale population was wiped out by whaling before they banned it in 1982. So, I mean, there was a reason that they banned whaling because right. they were wiping out most whale populations. So two years ago, there was a research mission from the British Antarctic Survey, and then they only had one sighting. They heard a couple more whales on their instruments. This year, they just went out and they had 36 sightings, uh, in total 55 wow. individual whales, and they think that means that there's more. The conservation efforts, they're slow because also um, a lot of whales, you know, they have only one baby and they don't have one every year. Right. They've also seen about 20,000 humpback whales. They satellite tagged a few rare southern right whales not white whales i had to look this up right, right. whales <laughs> yes not wrong they're right yeah um and all this is by the south george island off the coast of antarctica and it used to be full of all kinds of whales it was like this feeding place before again we did too much whaling but these sightings and these numberings means that they're coming back and um the southern ocean has a lot less pollution than a lot of other places of bodies of water so they think it can support a lot of whales as they hopefully keep growing in numbers and extra good news on top of that whales are apparently great for the environment uh they help contain a lot of carbon because they make a lot of poop and their poop feeds phytoplankton and phytoplankton sucks up hundreds of billions of tons of co2 uh, and they account for about half the oxygen that then gets breathed out into the atmosphere from all things that make oxygen. Uh, and also they, because they're so big, apparently they trap a ton of CO2 like in their physical bodies so that when they die and sink to the bottom, that gets released really, really slowly. So I would never have thought of whales as A, carbon trappers and B, uh, creators of carbon trappers. But I think right. that's really cool. So having more whales is also really, really good not just because it's sad when we wipe animals out, but because it's good for all of us. That's absolutely incredible and proof that there are always good things in the world. Right. There are always good things. You can share your good things, good news, and your tiny joys, if you want, with us at therearegoodthingspod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter as podgoodthings. Our show notes are at therearegoodthings.com. We'll see you next week. Thank mm-hmm. you.